This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, where the governor has finally decided to impose a statewide lockdown at one minute after midnight tonight in hopes of containing the coronavirus pandemic in Florida. The governor's reversal is a win for Democrats. They've been urging him to do this for almost two weeks. The long delay has prompted some to begin calling him the Florida man of coronavirus. On the Sunrise interview, we'll talk with Senator Perry Thurston, who was dogging the governor right up to the last minute. As of last night, the state had 7,773 confirmed cases of coronavirus and 101 fatalities. It's going to get worse, too. The epidemiological model being used by the White House is predicting we will have 6,500 fatalities in Florida by June. Now that the highways are almost empty, the governor is trying to speed up some major construction projects that would create all sorts of delays during normal traffic. Those projects in Tampa, Palm Beach County, Miami-Dade, and Orlando add up to more than $2 billion. It's been almost three weeks since the state's price-gouging hotline was activated, and Florida's attorney general says they've already received more than 1,200 complaints. The schools are still empty as kids learn their lessons from home, and the superintendent of Pasco County School says one good thing has come out of this. Parents are more involved than ever in their children's education. We'll also have your calendar of political events and the latest on Florida Man, including a man who repeatedly stabbed a police dog in the head. He's dead. The canine is recovering. And now, the top stories on Sunrise for Thursday, April 2nd. After two weeks of half-assing it, the governor goes all-in on a statewide lockdown to try to contain coronavirus. Ron DeSantis tried to avoid a statewide order like this by leaving it to local governments to go their own ways. But he's been taking cues from the White House, and Donald Trump has given him a sign. The president uh, just the other day announced they're going to do a 30-day extension for the current guidelines. I mean, I think it's clear that that represents effectively a national pause. Uh, We've seen some of the job losses. We've seen some of the economic problems that have happened um, as a result of this. We're going to be in this for another 30 days, I think, based off that. And that's just the reality that we find ourselves in. And so so given those circumstances and given the the, the unique situation in Florida, um, I'm going to be doing an executive order directing all Floridians to limit movements and personal interactions outside the home to only those necessary to obtain or provide essential services or conduct essential activities. We've been working on this. devoting a lot of resources to Southeast Florida. Obviously, they've been operating under uh, stringent measures now um, going on, um, I think, a couple weeks. Uh, But this is another 30-day period. And, um, you know, at this point, I think even though there's a lot of places in Florida that have very low infection rates, um, it makes sense to to make this move now. And, um, you know, I did consult with uh, with folks in the White House. I did speak with the president about it. He, you know, he agreed with, with the approach of focusing on the hot spots, um, but at the same time, you know, he understood that this is another 30-day situation and, and you, you got to just do what, what makes the most sense. So that order will go into effect at midnight. But why did DeSantis wait this long? In a word, Trump. You know, when, when the president did the 30-day extension, you know, to me, that was people aren't just going to go back to work. That, that's a national pause button. Um, I had concerns about how some of that would would affect different communities in Florida who have not been hit the same way, and I don't anticipate getting hit the same way as places like Miami-Dade. Um, so, but I wanted to see what their guidelines would actually say, and even the guidelines, they never actually said to do that. Uh, the Surgeon General, U.S. Surgeon General, never told me that that that's what they 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 were looking for. Um, you know, but I think that given that we're having a 30-day, I think that's a signal from the president that look, this is. Um, 
Um, this is what we're going to be fighting for a month. There's not going to be any kind of return to normalcy. People thought Easter, all that. That's not going to happen. Um, and then I also just the fact that the place that had been hit the hardest, you know, Miami-Dade, had had these measures um, in place and Broward and some of the others. So the southeast Florida had already been under different, different measures. And so the rest of the state, even though there are issues in other parts of the state, um, you know, if you look at our numbers and you take out Broward, Dade, and Palm Beach, you know, the per capita infection rate is very, very low uh, given our population. Uh, but I felt that with 30 more days, you know, we, we, we should just do it. Um, and, uh, and I think that'll probably end up, um, end up being something that, uh, you know, that, that will make sense. Uh, we'll see. I mean, we don't really know how all these measures work because it's never been tried on American society before. Um, but, but I think we find ourselves in a situation where we, we have a national pause and we need, to, uh, we need to deal with this front and center, and we'll figure out on the back end how we get out. And don't forget the optics. More than 30 states, along with the District of Columbia, have already enacted lockdowns. And the national media has been less than kind to DeSantis for his refusal to act before now. Matt Dixon with Politico Florida says that fueled the perception that the governor had become the political personification of Florida man during the pandemic. Governor DeSantis is sort of becoming the, the national Florida man or coronavirus in, in a lot of ways. National media folks have, have sort of taken a, a liking to the idea that, that the governor's leadership and specifically not doing a stay-at-home order, you know, makes him look silly in the face of many, many, many other governors that are doing it. And there's sort of um, uh, this, this perception that he is uh, becoming the concrete embodiment of Florida man on the national stage, so, or, or at least, you know, that's critics would say probably grown to jester. You might be wondering what happens to folks who violate the Florida stay-home order. Well, probably not much. The governor says they're not going to be hauling people off to jail for simply being out of your house. Yeah, so look, I mean, you know, we have on here the different enforcement, um, you know, mechanisms uh, that we have with the other ones. Um, but look, I, what I would say is, you know, if you're engage in essential services, if you're seeking essential services like groceries, gas, medicine, um, if you're engaging in essential activity, uh, okay, if you're not, uh, then you're going to be protecting yourself, your family, and your fellow Floridians better, um, you know, if you stick close to home. Uh, I see some of these stories around the country where you kind of have like, you know, someone steps out and like someone wants to get them arrested. Look, at some point, you know, you do need to just exercise good judgment. Uh, the government can't uh, ham fist everybody into their bedroom. It's just not practicable. But I think that uh, these uh, policies are policies that will make sense. And, you know, there's, gonna, there's a lot of essential services that are still taking place. I mean, the health care, you know, the finance, uh, there's a lot of things that, that really make a difference in the economy and, uh, and obviously in our, in our fight against the virus. DeSantis tried to sugarcoat his announcement by adding some good news. He says they're going to use this 30-day pause to crank up billions of dollars worth of highway construction projects. One of the things that struck me just going around the state the last few weeks is the traffic. There's, there's, not, there's not cars on the roads like there normally is. You look at some of the most busy thoroughfares um, and it's, uh, sometimes it's a trickle. So I think that there's an opportunity to take advantage of that. Um, we have roads that if you were to do a lot of construction on would cause massive traffic in normal situations. That may not be the case now. Um, and so I have told the Secretary of Transportation here um, that they need to accelerate $2.1 billion in transportation projects. You have the ability to operate 
a long time during the day. You can close down more lanes because the traffic isn't what it was. Um, and you can really start to make progress on some of these key projects. So just now, we are green lighting and we're going to look to do more. The 864 million Howard Franklin Bridge project in the Tampa Bay area accelerated by almost four weeks. Uh, the widening of Southern Boulevard in Western Palm Beach County accelerated by nearly three months. Miami-Dade, the uh, I-395, I-95 design build project, uh, $802 million reconstructive project being in, uh, done in conjunction with the local expressway authority accelerated by four weeks. And then finally, the project at Sand Lake near the heavy tourist area of International Drive and Universal Boulevard in Orlando, that will be accelerated by four to six weeks. And I know for those Floridians who have been in any of those areas that it would be a welcome change if we're able um, to accelerate and make those infrastructure improvements. So uh, I'm excited. Uh, you know, it's sad that we're in this situation, but I'm glad we're able to make the most of it uh, as it goes to some of our uh, cases. The governor's stay-at-home order takes effect at one minute after midnight tomorrow morning. It remains in effect until April 30th, but could be extended. By then, we could have as many as 175 deaths per day in Florida due to coronavirus. That, at least, is the projection from an epidemiological model developed by the University of Washington, the same model being used by the White House. It also predicts there will be 6,500 COVID-19 fatalities in Florida by the 1st of June. When the governor declared a coronavirus emergency last month, the state's anti-price gouging law kicked in, and Florida Attorney General Ashley Moody says her hotline has been busy. Three weeks since I activated Florida's price gouging hotline, and already we're getting results for Floridians. Our first goal is to deter price gouging in real time so consumers can afford the essential commodities they need to stay healthy as we fight this virus together. While my rapid response team is contacting businesses, securing refunds, and working with online platforms to remove outrageous posts, we are also issuing subpoenas and preserving evidence to advance our price gouging investigations. We are most effective when Floridians help us. So I want to encourage anyone who sees exorbitant price increases on essential commodities to please contact my office immediately so we can address the matter as soon as possible. To report price gouging, call 1-866-9-NO-SCAM or visit our website, myfloridalegal.com. Since Florida's price gouging hotline was activated, the Attorney General's office has received more than 1,200 consumer complaints about the price of essential commodities and made more than 1,900 referrals or contacts with merchants about allegations of price gouging and scams. They can face fines of $1,000 per violation and up to $25,000 for multiple violations committed in a single day. It's not all gloom and doom on Florida's pandemic front. The superintendent of Pasco County Schools says they are adapting to the new norm. Kurt Browning says kids are getting their lessons done through virtual schooling and school meals are being delivered. This week, uh, we changed the model and we moved uh, to 25 drive-up sites serving an entire week's worth of food at one time, uh, minimizing the exposure uh, to district staff, uh, which was certainly important to us. Uh, additionally, uh, we've incorporated 16 school bus stops in our feeding plan. Uh, those uh, school buses uh, reach into our more rural areas, uh, ensuring that uh, those kids are, are fed as well. Yesterday alone, one day, well, we served 80,680 meals for the week uh, in just uh, two hours. I will tell you that districts all across Florida are stepping up and ensuring that our students are, are fed meals that meet all the state and federal guidelines. 
Um, with schools now scheduled to not resume until uh, after May 1st, uh, it is imperative uh, that our student feeding programs continue. Uh, that said, we are grateful, uh, more than grateful, for the community support received so far. However, it's important that there be uh, a continuing community response to help meet the needs uh, of these students. Browning says the shift to virtual schooling has forced parents to get more involved in their children's education, which has been the goal all along. One of the things that we have always preached in this district is this parental involvement and making sure parents are involved. Well, I think that this COVID-19 virus uh, and the situation we find ourselves in has uh, now really forced parents into being much more engaged uh, in the education of their children. That, that's a positive thing, in, in my opinion. Um, so what we've done uh, is to assist those parents is we prepared a parent virtual newsletter uh, that goes out to parents, and not only does it talk about um, uh, the, the mechanics of how to get on the platform, how to sign on, how to how to uh, meet your teacher, how to uh, correspond with your teacher, get assignments, complete work, submit work. But what it does is it also provides um, some supports, some websites, some things that we as a district uh, are able to do um, and gives them phone numbers, email addresses, uh, so that they don't feel like they're out there on an island by themselves. We keep pushing information out to parents. We don't want to push so much out that they get numb to it, but we do want to make sure that they do know either through our district website, through our social media, and through our, our virtual uh, parent newsletter that there are resources out there that can help them uh, maneuver and, and manage and cope uh, during this, this tough time. Next up on the Sunrise Interview, we'll talk with State Senator Perry Thurston of Fort Lauderdale, whose timing on coronavirus was perfect. This is Sunrise from Florida Politics. Our guest today is Senator Perry Thurston, who deserves some sort of award for timing. At 10.55 on Wednesday morning, his office blasted out a press release expressing outrage that Governor DeSantis had failed to issue a statewide stay-at-home order because no one at the White House had recommended it. Two hours later, the governor announced he would issue the order, and Thurston was glad to hear it. Well, he was doing, he's doing some things right, but what I think he was doing wrong was listening to the president instead of listening to the people of the state of Florida and the other leaders across the state that had called upon him to do the right thing by our elderly community and the residents of the state of Florida. Has he gone far enough, or is this a case of closing the, the barn door after the horse is gone? Well, I'm glad that the governor made the decision that he made because it was the right decision. But I'm also uh, a little concerned about he still indicated in his interview that he did it after consulting with the president. I think that the fact that the residents of the state of Florida and all the congressmen uh, from my district anyway were calling upon him to do so on the benefit of the uh, our residents and our elderly community – should have been enough for him to see the picture. What has this reliance on advice from the Trump White House done to Florida's response, do you think? Well, well, I think that just like uh, any delay is detrimental to the not just South Florida, but to the entire state. We need to be concerned about uh, making sure we can capture this thing, that we can uh, find out, have the appropriate test, and limit it in terms of its exposure to all of our communities. And I think that any delay, the initial delay from the president's denial, 
the delay here waiting on the president to give the okay to talk to pull the plug. I think all of those types of delays put us in a worse position. How did that make you feel as an elected representative of the state of Florida when the advice of you and your colleagues is being pretty much disregarded and he's having people whisper in his ear from Washington? Well, well, it, it really sends a bad message. I would like to think that my letter got his attention, but I can assure you it was more the whispering in his ear by the president giving him the okay to leave. I think that we need leaders who are prepared to lead without uh, the nod from the president. So where do we go from here, Senator? Well, I think that we make sure that everyone across the state abide by what the order says, that we take care of the essential uh, workers so that they can do their job, and we look at getting all the supplies for our first for those people on the front line. Thurston may have the best timing, but it was Agriculture Commissioner Nikki Freed who gets credit for being the first to call on the governor to impose a statewide lockdown. She did that March 20th, almost two weeks ago. Freed, who is the only Democrat holding statewide office in Florida, issued a statement thanking the governor for making the right call. Your calendar of events today starts with the Judicial Nominating Commission for the Second Judicial Circuit. They'll interview more than a dozen candidates to fill two vacancies on the Tallahassee Court. The interviews start at 9. The Florida Supreme Court will release its weekly opinions at 11. U.S. District Judge Robert Hinkle holds a pretrial conference in a challenge to a state law implementing a 2018 constitutional amendment restoring voter rights to felons who've completed their sentences. And the Florida A&M Board of Trustees will hold a conference call at 3.30 to talk about the university's response to coronavirus. Finally, it's time once again for the continuing saga of Florida Man, one of whom is no longer with us. A Florida man who convinced Americans to donate millions of dollars to build a private wall along the U.S.-Mexico border has a brand new gig. Brian Colfidge claims he's selling millions of protective face masks that are now in short supply. A month ago, he created a business called America First Medical, which offers to broker large-volume sales of high-grade masks known as N95s. Colfidge says he found these masks all over the world, including stockpiles hidden away in warehouses in Japan and Eastern Europe, but so far he hasn't found any buyers yet. And the coroner says a Florida man who stabbed a sheriff's canine in the head during a failed burglary died in the hospital from cocaine intoxication. 31-year-old Carl McCarg was arrested inside a home in Lakeland after he smashed the glass on the front door with a lug wrench. When deputies arrived, he hid in the closet in the master bedroom, so they sent the dog in to flush him out. McCarg stabbed the canine nine times before the deputy was able to grab the knife. He was injured in the process. Both the dog and the deputy are expected to make a full recovery. That's it for today's episode of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg in Tallahassee, inviting you to join us again tomorrow as we plumb the depths of Florida politics.